We're reading this morning from Philippians 4, 1 through 9, and then the Gospel of Luke, chapter 10, 38 through 42. You can find in the bulletin the uh, references for the Pew Bible if you would like. Please stand with me out of respect for God's Word. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. I entreat Judea and I entreat Synthicte to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel, together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers, whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence... If there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Luke chapter 10, story of Mary and Martha. Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister named Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving, and she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. Spend a few minutes reflecting on the truth in God's word. Please be seated. At this time, we'll dismiss the kindergarten and first graders. And if you'd have your Bibles open to Philippians chapter 4, it's where we'll be spending our time this morning. A couple of weeks ago, we talked about the spiritual discipline of joy. And we saw in Philippians 4.4 4, uh, what, what is called an imperative or a command. Paul is commanding the people in Philippi to rejoice or to be joyful. And so we know that com- Paul's command for joy isn't the same as happiness. Happiness is based on happenings. Certain things are happening and I'm happy about those things, but when things aren't happening the way I want them, then I'm not as happy. But Paul is talking about something that's deeper than that, something that sort of undergirds ourselves, and that is what he's focusing on here in terms of of joy. So you have to have something that underlies your life, something that forms a foundation of your life that's never going to change. It can't be based on a relationship. It can't be based on a career. It can't be based on anything physical because all those things are going to be are going to change. And so he says, rejoice in the Lord. The Lord is the same yesterday, today and forever. And so since he never changes, 
and he has done these great things and he is the good shepherd, then we can always have a, a sense of joy in our lives. And exercising this kind of joy is a discipline. It's not something that just you sort of wake up and it happens. It's something that you have to work at. It's something that you have to remember. It's something, as we, we've talked about last week and we'll talk about again this week, it's something that you actually have to fight for joy because of the difficulties in the world. You, you tend to get sucked in in some way and you lose your joy. But we want to be people like Habakkuk, who we mentioned again two weeks ago, who said this in Habakkuk chapter 3. Though the fig tree does not bud, and though there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails, and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen, no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. So that's what we're driving to. And when we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, we talked about that word rejoice in the Hebrew was not just some sort of nodding. Yes, that's a kind thing. Let's remember that it's it's a real celebration. And, and several of you remarked about my athletic ability. And that was the the. The Hebrew word meant to to jump and turn around. And right here on stage, I got almost all the way around. And but my son wasn't here. Zachary wasn't here. So he was sick. And so when I went home, I was explaining this idea of rejoicing in the Lord. And I said, you know, it means to jump up and turn around. You should have seen me. I jumped up and turned around on stage. Zachary, everybody was impressed. And we had our sweet little neighbor over at that time. And, and I said, well, neighbor, you, you were there. You saw it. Weren't you impressed? And she said, well, I was actually taking a note. I, I didn't see it. Which I was happy about. That was good. And then I, I think she meant encouraging. She said, I didn't see it, but I heard it. And so we're, we don't have that neighbor over anymore um, at this point. But you hope that the, the rejoicing that you're doing as a, as a Christian is seen and heard. People know that something is underlying your life. And particularly when your life isn't going well, if you have a sense of rejoicing because of the Lord, then people who aren't believers or are struggling with their faith, they're really zeroing in at that point. Because when everything's going well, it's easy to be, it's easy to be joyful. But it's when things are falling apart that the world is looking in and saying, hey, when it falls apart, do you have anything to stand on? And when you say, yes, I'm, I'm, I'm tearful because of the situations or the happenings around me, but I'm joyful because I have this relationship with the Lord that is forever. It's unending. It never changes. And so we got to this question two weeks ago. If, if joy is commanded, then how is it that I fight for joy? And I mentioned two things. Last time, one, you may remember looking back at Philippians chapter 3, verse 20, that Paul talks about his citizenship. 
And remember we talked about this, that uh, it's not that difficult to go down to Haiti. As difficult as it is to live there, as an American, you can still have joy. And why can you have joy? You've got a passport, and you're going to go back home. And if you didn't have that passport, your attitude about being in Haiti would be dramatically different. And so we as believers believe we have a passport. This is not our final home. This is a place that we're visiting. And we have the the passport of Christ that's going to get us back home. And he's going to take us the whole way so we can be joyful as we remember our citizenship is in heaven. Secondly, we saw this from the passage Verses 2 and 3, in order to fight for joy, we have to guard our relationships. These two Christian women who had been together for the gospel, somehow something came in and began to eclipse the gospel. And there was some tension in this relationship, and the tension apparently was beginning to spill out onto the congregation. And so Paul is encouraging the help for these two women to say, let's let's remember what we're really fighting for. And so in your relationships, when you have disagreements, you have to remember that you're together for the gospel and you're not going to allow a secondary issue, as important as it may be, to somehow eclipse the gospel and then begin to choke off your joy and possibly choke off the joy of others around you. And so I want to complete our thoughts today by specifically focusing in on verses 6 through 9, pretty familiar verses, and want to continue to try to answer the question, how do we, how do we fight for joy? And I want to mention three things. We fight for joy by fighting against anxiety. We fight for joy by focusing our minds And we fight for joy by finding someone to follow. We fight against anxiety, we focus our minds, and we're finding someone to follow. All all part of this text here. So let's begin, and we'll spend most of our time on this first one. We fight for joy by fighting against anxiety. Look at verses 6 and 7. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer... And supplication or petition with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. The Apostle Paul is writing back to the people of Philippi and he understands that they're going to have some kind of anxiety. It's a difficult place to be a Christian in Philippi at that point. And so he understands some of the people in the church are fighting for joy because, and they're having to fight against the anxiety that they feel. In America, recent medical statistics concluded that anxiety is the number one mental health problem among women. And that anxiety disorders are the most common cause of mental illness in America. Eclipsing depression. So the Apostle Paul is writing back to the town of Philippi saying, I understand there's going to be some anxiety amongst the believers there. And I'm saying today, Paul Phillips, not the Apostle, is looking out in this crowd and making this assumption. There's a great deal of anxiety out here. And so we want to ask the question, how do we fight for joy by fighting against 
anxiety. In the Greek, the word anxiety means to be pulled in different directions or to be divided. And all of us understand this concept. You're, you're anxious because there's a decision to be made and you're not sure if you, you should go this way or that way. You're, you're anxious because of the future. You're not sure what the future is going to hold. You know what's happening right now, so you wish you could kind of stay here right now. You wish nothing would change, but the future, like a magnet, is pulling you forward and you're, you're fearful of that. What if I step in this direction? What if I let my child go in that direction? What could happen? Who knows? And you become anxious. Possibly you're pulled in too many directions at the same time. They're all good things, but I've got my family and I've got my friends and I've got my work and I've got my school and I've got my service that I do. And I've got all these different activities and it just seems like my time just gets compressed and all of these things are colliding into each other and I can never really get my hands on any one of them. So I'm just anxious. None of them are really going well. And so we're divided. And immediately I thought of the passage, the very familiar passage in Luke 10 of Mary and Martha. Most of you will be familiar with it. Mary and Martha live in a small town called Bethany, just outside of Jerusalem. So whenever Jesus is passing by, he stops in Bethany and usually spends the night. And so that's what's happening in Luke chapter 10. Jesus is coming through to Jerusalem and he stops in Bethany and Mary and Martha open up their house to Jesus. And although Martha does offer hospitality, what we learn is that Martha, even though she has invited Jesus into her home, Martha is unable to let go of herself. Even with Jesus in her life, she is still the center of the equation. And you see that clearly in verse 40. Martha comes to Jesus and says, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. In this one little phrase, she's using herself three times to say, yeah, I know you're here, but really it's still all about me. So Jesus points this division to Martha and says, Martha, Martha, you're worried, you're anxious, you're divided about many things. You're pulled in so many directions, Martha, but there's only one thing that's needed. There's really only one direction. And Mary has lined herself up with this one direction, and it's not going to be taken from her. I'm not going to let you to come in and divide Mary like you're divided. And so my question when we come to this particular part is, for those who have invited Jesus into their lives, is it still your life? I mean, if you have invited Jesus Christ, God Almighty, to come into your life, is it still your life? 
Is it really still all about you? Things weren't going well, so I got Jesus to come in and to fix all those things the way I'd like to see them fixed? Then you're divided. You're still at the center of the equation. You're the most important thing, and you're happy to have some being come in and straighten a lot of things out for you. Is it still all about you? Or have you given your life over to Christ? You see, it's possible to have Jesus right in your midst, but to not have joy. Because it's still just about you. And because you change and your situations change, you never really can have any peace. You never really can have any joy because it's based on you. It's not based on Christ. So a divided heart causes anxiety. And Paul is going to give some steps here how to handle our anxiety. Notice he doesn't say, well, just stop worrying and pull yourself together. I'm thankful he doesn't just say that. He doesn't say, well, you know, worry never really changed anything. So why worry? He does say, don't worry. And then he gives you what I I don't want to call a formula because I don't want you to go home and think it's just sort of a uh, one, two, three and bingo. It should always work. This is a way in which Paul is helping the people in Philippi to say, this is one of the ways you can fight against anxiety. And he mentions three things, these three words, prayer, supplication and thanksgiving. Prayer, supplication or petition, and thanksgiving. And I think the order here is important. First, prayer. Prayer is a general term for worship or adoration. So Paul is saying here, the first thing you need to do when you feel anxious is to rush in To the presence of God. The first step in dealing with your anxiety is not to rush in and say, God, here are all my anxieties. That's the easiest thing to do. That's the most common thing to do. But I think Paul's getting at something here. The first step is to come in and say, God, I need to just come into your presence. Forget anything that I'm carrying in. I first just need to focus on you. I need to worship and adore God. I need to understand who he is, his power, his goodness before I think about anything else. And I think that we can understand this. Martin Lloyd-Jones says this, even before you make your request known to God, realize that you're face to face with God. That's always the beginning. Have you ever been in a situation and there was tension or confusion or division and somebody walks in and you go, oh, I'm so glad they're here. It doesn't eliminate 
the anxiety. It doesn't eliminate the problem, but it does begin to work on your anxiousness. You, you say, okay, I, I think someone's here that might be able to address this problem. If you're a child, you might think that if you get into some tight spot, that if your dad comes in, oh, I think dad, somehow he can take care of this. If you're into comic book characters and superheroes, isn't it right in the middle of the, the train wreck and, and the fire and the car crashes? And who comes in? Superman. And everybody on the ground who's now been living in disaster goes, yes, there's somebody here. The right man has come in and he can take care of this in some way. And I think Martin Luther was getting at this in his famous hymn, A Mighty Fortress. See if you remember this line. Did we in our own strength confide our striving? What does he say? Would be losing. Next line. We're not the right man on our side. You see, one of the things that has to be first in you and I dealing with our anxiety is we've got the right man on our side. And before you rush in and you you give all the things that are problematic, you rush into the presence of God and say, I've got the right man on my side. And whatever it is he does, he's going to make it good. So I wonder for you, when you're feeling anxious, would you go first to God in worship, not first to God in petition. And you might need to stay there some length of time. This is not something that you're going to do for like 30 seconds and okay, now on to my big petition list. You might spend most of your time in prayer when you're anxious in this first section. If you're really, really anxious, you need to be really, really convinced that the right man is on your side. The second thing, which is the thing I think which should take the smallest amount of time, is petition. You come and you petition the Lord. You say, I need help. That's different than coming to the Lord and saying, this is what I'd like to see happen. We don't know what the right thing is to do. But we can say, I need help. I cannot figure this out. And I don't know what you might have in store, but here's what's causing me anxiety, and I'm just giving it to you. I'm not adding advice at this point. I'm just saying, this is the issue, and I'm unloading. I have this picture in my mind of of sort of unpacking your suitcase or unloading a backpack. You're just coming in to say, here, I've been carrying this, and I just can't carry it. Any longer. And you just lay it at the Lord's feet. I mentioned this some time ago. I was 
traveling out in Arizona, I went to the Grand Canyon. And I hiked down about halfway uh, on just a day hike, a friend of mine and I, and then we hiked back out. That took most, most of the day. And as we came down the trail, it began to sort of plateau out at some point, and we ran across, you know, always running across people, you stop and say, well, how much further to this point or that point? And these three, I guess, college-age girls were walking uphill with these big backpacks on. And since it was just a day hike for me and my friend, we, we weren't carrying anything other than the water. And they'd been hiking from the very bottom, so they'd already hiked a long way, and man, they were tired. And they weren't going very fast. We said, well, you know, it's not too far. I mean, we didn't, want, we didn't really want to be too discouraging. Uh, see the rim? It's not too far. And it was a long way. And so we walked out to sort of a plateau point. We got a little something to eat, something to drink. And then we walked back the same way we came. And we're walking now back uphill. And who do we pass? Several hours later, the three girls in the backpacks. And we said, hey, you know, we're not carrying anything. We'd be happy to carry. And before we even got past that, this is what you heard. (laughs) And these backpacks. (laughs) They were just so happy to say, I'm not carrying that one step further. And so when you come in to the presence of Almighty God and you say, you know what? You're all powerful. You're the Alpha and the Omega. You know the beginning from the end. All things are underneath your control. You don't need me to help you in any way, shape or form. You've got it all figured out. I'm just coming in and I'm just going to recognize that for some amount of time. And then when I really am convinced of that, that I'm just going to go and say, I can't carry this any longer. I just can't hold this up. Would you please take this and just do something with it? I'm trusting you. Because you're an eternal being, and my ways and my thoughts aren't going to be your ways and your thoughts. And then the third step, you do that with thanksgiving. The first thing you do is you come in and you understand whose presence you're in. And that's going to take a long time. That's going to take, for some of us, some practice, some discipline. But this is where the joy comes in. I'm really in God's presence. I'm really His child. It's not just vocabulary words. I really am God's child. He really is good. He's really working things together for good. So now I can gladly just unload these things And then I can say, God, I just want to be thankful. And I think one of the reasons it's so helpful to be thankful is when you're thankful, you're looking back and saying, God has done certain things in the past. So now I can trust him to continue to do good things in the future. And so almost everyone here is old enough To say, I really prayed for something in my past. I really thought it was the right thing. I couldn't believe God didn't give it to me. And he didn't. And now I'm so glad he didn't.
So if you're praying about a situation and it just doesn't seem to be resolving itself like you thought it would, you can say, you know what, God? So many times I'm just so glad I didn't get answers to my own prayers that your answer was no. And you look back in your own life or you can look back in the lives of the people in the Bible and you can see Joseph and you can see Joseph being beaten by his brothers and thrown into a well. You can see Joseph being sold into slavery. You can see Joseph being falsely accused and put into prison for 20 years. And you can see Joseph then in front of his brother saying, you know what? You meant it for evil. But God meant it for good. So you have to have those bookends around your petition. You really want to step into the presence of the right man. You really want to understand that he is in control and thankfully he's working all things out for good. And in the middle of that, the smallest amount of your prayer time would just be saying, here, I need help. My guess is most of us, the biggest part is I need help and here are all the things I need. Yeah, I know you're sovereign and yet you worked things out in the past. Yeah, but I mean, and I'm afraid if you're like that, then you're really like Martha. You've invited Christ into your home, but it's really still all about you. And you've got to have these things answered now and in the way you want them. If you think that way, then after your prayer, you don't know the peace of God that passes all understanding. Because you've had to generate your own peace. But if you go in and understand that the right man is on your side, that he's working all things together for good, then you can experience the peace of God. Well, that's one way we fight for joy. Paul mentions another one. Verse 8, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, lovely, commendable, if anything is excellent, anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Now, I could go through this whole list and it would make a pretty good sermon just to take one of these at a time. But I just want to tackle the very first one. One of the ways to fight against anxiety is to pray. And we have to think about what we're doing in our prayer. Another one is to think the right way. And so Paul is saying, look, you need to think about these things. And one of the things you need to think about is the truth. So many times we live with anxiety because in our minds we're really not thinking the truth. If you're anxious about a new venture or a meeting, you remind yourself of this truth. Isaiah 41. Fear not, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will help you. I will strengthen you. I will uphold you with my victorious right hand. Jesus Christ is with us. If you're anxious about being too weak to carry on, you just can't move forward in your family. You can't move forward 
in your work. You can't move forward in your service or your ministry. And you say this truth, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Second Corinthians 12. As your days, so shall your strength be. Deuteronomy 33. If you're anxious about decisions you have to make about the future, you say this, I will instruct you and I will teach you the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Psalm 32. If you're anxious about facing opponents, you remind yourself of this truth. If God is for us, who can be against us? If you're anxious about getting old, you remind yourself of this truth. Even to your old age, I am he. And to gray hairs, I will carry you. I have made, and I will bear, and I will carry, and I will save. Isaiah 46. If you're anxious that you're going to make shipwreck of your faith, and that you're going to fall away from God, you remind yourself by saying this, He who began a good work in you will complete it unto the day of Christ. He who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. Philippians 1, 6 and 1 Thessalonians 1 or 5. See, this is one of the other spiritual disciplines is the Bible. And so often what we have in our minds are just things out in the world or lies that somebody has told us, a, a parent or a friend or something. And we have something going through our mind. And what you need going through your mind is the truth. And really understanding the truth then begins to choke out anxiety and give room to grow joy. Finally, we fight for joy by finding someone to follow. And I just want to make a brief mention of this. Paul is talking about what you've seen in me, then you put it into practice. Verse 8. Well, what is it they had seen in Paul? You remember what happened when Paul went to Philippi? He goes there and he gets thrown in prison for helping out a little girl. And he doesn't just get thrown into a prison. He gets beaten first and then he and Silas get thrown into sort of the the back of the back of the prison. And the people in Philippi understood where he was. And you know what happened? When they get thrown into the back of the back of the prison, what's happening back there is that Paul and Silas are singing hymns. You see, you've seen it in me. You've seen me get beaten and be thrown into prison and I'm still singing hymns. Is that based on my circumstances? No. That's based on the Lord. So when you feel anxious, you remember, you you follow after me, you have a, a template, you have a model, you have somebody that's coming alongside of you saying, no, this is the way it is. And my question to you, when you're praying and it just feels like I'm doing this formula and it just seems to not quite be catching, do you have somebody that you can follow? One of the writers in the books that I read, it was called a partner in joy. I mean, when you don't feel joyful, 
and you've done your prayers and you've done what you can, is there anybody you can find? You should have one or two people say, it just helps me to be around you. I understand something about the joy of the Lord when I just get near you. Do you have somebody like that? You're going to need somebody like that. There are two or three people that I know that when I think about them or I stand near them or I talk to them, I think they've got something I don't have right now. And I just want to be near that person. And then it helps me rethink about my prayer life. It helps me refocus on the truth. If you're anxious, one of the things you can do is to pray. To really understand who's on your side. To really bring your petitions before the Lord. And to really be thankful that His answer, even if it's not your answer, is going to be the best answer. To let the truth flow through your mind instead of believing lies. And finally, to have somebody that would come alongside you. Even when it seems like nothing else is working, you have a partner in fighting for joy for you. The best thing we can do, and it's no surprise that Christ gave us this, is communion. It helps us remember that he is with you. He hasn't just sent you out and said, good luck. And here's a book of instruction. He's really with you. In some denominations, they call this the Eucharist. You're probably Episcopalian. I believe that's where they call this the Eucharist. You know what that word means? Thanksgiving. So you come up and you say, yes, I'm so thankful that even though all this mess is happening around here, Jesus Christ has come and he's given himself for me. So for those who have trusted in the Lord, even for those who feel like they lived a lot of their lives divided, He has come to make you whole. His division, His wounds have healed your divisions and your wounds. And he, on the night he was betrayed, said, I'm making a new covenant. I'm entering in to something everlasting with you. Are you anxious? Are you afraid? Are you divided? He will keep in perfect peace him whose mind is steadfast. Let's pray. Lord, you can do something now that a sermon cannot do.
by the power and the work of your Holy Spirit, by the grace that's offered in this meal, all of us who feel anxious and fearful and live divided lives, we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would come. You would orient our lives around you and not around ourselves. That we would trust that the right man is on our side. That we would know the truth. That you would set our hearts free for joy. In Jesus' name, amen.